Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, we have a great show for you tonight, and and it's a special night of celebration here in Baltimore. The the Ravens uh, just got together to celebrate Super Bowl thirty five again, and uh, you know there's an upcoming thirty for thirty on that team that I think will be a lot of fun. Uh, but we went to an event t- tonight at the Meyerhoff, and a friend of mine was also there, uh, Chris Rayborg. Chris, how you doing? Good, good. Yeah, nice to finally meet you, Ken. Uh, it's it's been a while. I've been meaning to get on the pod for uh, for a couple of years. In fact, I think my my Twitter inbox has a message from you <laughs> doing an right. episode back in 2019. We weren't able to do it, but um, you know, as you know, and all your listeners know, uh, I've had one of my co-hosts, Alec, on over at One Winning Pod. Uh, he's been on a whole lot to represent us. So, uh, but it's finally good to be over here myself. So, thanks yeah. for having me. Great to ha- great to have you, Chris. And so the the event tonight. Uh, Super Bowl 35 look back and uh, uh, one of those things that uh, I, I kind of had a had a question ready to an- ask because I thought it might be a Q&A session mm-hmm. auditorium frankly much too large for that you know you get people fighting each other over asking questions in that large an auditorium but uh, uh, just a very interesting and emotional night I, I just talk a little bit about the event itself because the Ravens whenever they host something like this always do a really first class job and they really understand it's all the little extras that make it really special so you go right in the door as you entered if you got there early enough anyway they had a big replica super bowl ring you could stand behind have your picture taken 
And on your right is the Lombardi Trophy. On your left is the Hunt Trophy for winning the AFC. Uh, and you can get both of those in the picture. So I, I posted one to Twitter uh, as soon as he did. And I understand you were a little bit late for that. Yeah, we were a little late. There was the uh, line was quite long to to get a picture at the ring. So uh, unfortunately, I got the message from you. So we met up uh, there beforehand as well. But yeah, it was, you know, like you said earlier, just uh, the Ravens definitely put on a first class. I mean, uh, when you got into the auditorium, just looking around and, and kind of just seeing everybody like everybody's really just, you know, fired up and, and you could see it, it really evoked a, a passion that you've seen from this fan base. And uh, just kind of having it come back. There was a lot of nostalgia for sure. A tremendous amount of nostalgia. The, the event, it kind of reminds me of, but this one, uh, there's so many extras in this that it really, it really is, is a, is a bit different from the Johnny United's golden arm event, but the, that United's golden arm event, there's you know, the, the love affair that was, that was with the cults and this city and the, especially that old 58 team and, and uh, the city and the, some of those men still getting together after all these years, mm-hmm. uh, and you know they're having to switch that to really the '70s cults at this point because those are the guys now in their '70s mostly uh, who are who are getting together for uh, uh, you know having the opportunity to get together still on that. And they, unfortunately, a lot of the '58 guys have, have, have passed. Uh, but uh, this is this is an older crowd, and I don't think of myself as an old man. Certainly, who does? I mean, who really thinks of themselves <laughs> as old? But but uh, 22 years ago, I, I was 37. 22 years ago. You were what eight, <laughs> seven? Oh, yeah. Would have been eight, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, definitely an older crowd, and and uh, Chris, you you would have been one of the youngest people there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a few kids, I think, dragged there by their parents. Um, honestly, might be around my age at this point. I don't know, maybe a little bit older, but uh, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's a funny, you know, long back. I'm, I'm sure Alec has probably talked about this, and other people on the show are kind of younger, but. Um, I remember bits and pieces from the 2000 season. That was probably one of the first years that I really have vivid memories of. Um, I remember, I remember, I don't remember which game it was. Uh, one of the playoff games, I believe. Um, we we didn't really have cable at the time. I think we were still kind of like uh, on satellite in our new house. We had just moved up to Hartford County, and uh, I, I just remember a part of the game, and we lost it because the there was some weather event, some sort of going on. And oh. we had to try and reconnect our TV to to pick up the game again. It was so frustrating. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> that would do it for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Those uh, you, you, there there was some problems with various broadcasting. We won't get into that. They, they, let's get, let's redirect to the event here because yeah. uh, again, the, the the Ravens really set it up well. They had plenty of time in advance. A lot of people knew each other who were there. Obviously, a lot of fans who who knew each other. A lot of uh, you know, local TV people and whatnot. Very well recorded event, I'll call it. All kinds of camera people in the aisles. NFL Films was there uh, recording. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, part of the 30, 30 for thirty show they're doing. Uh, so anyway, a lot of a lot of effort was gone into uh, recording this event. Uh, they brought everybody out on stage, and uh, there were let's see, ten people seated right on stage mm-hmm. ten. And so we had uh, Byrne was the master of ceremonies, the the, the former uh, uh, head of PR for the Ravens, who's now uh, he might still have some, some emeritus sort of, role. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but they had uh, going from left to right around the circle. They they had Marvin Lewis, uh, uh, Jack Del Rio, uh, Rod Woodson, uh, Tony Siragusa, Ray, and then they had Byrne and uh, Billick. Uh, Shannon Sharp, uh, Trent Dilfer, and Jamal Lewis. So uh, quite a cast of the top players on the team. And still, you know, you, you talk about Ozzie Newsom was not on stage. He was there, but he wasn't on stage. <laughs> so uh, they had they had quite a number of people who you know were not there. Kadri Ishmael, you know, could have could have done this sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you you could certainly have had Jonathan Ogden involved in this sort of thing. Uh, it, McCrary uh, was was not on stage, so you had a lot of people. Neither neither of the cornerbacks uh, were on stage, for example. Uh, you know, Bullware was a very well spoken guy; would be a good guy to have for this kind of event. Was uh, was not there, so uh, you know, for all the great players that were there, and this point was made is that it really was a team effort with with, with more than just the people who were on stage. There were a lot of great players uh, all doing their job. Definitely, uh, Tony Sergus in particular, I think was was harping that a lot. Um, it's it's funny, you know. I'm sure we'll get more to him, but he, 
you know, seeing him again on stage, I think I, I knew as a kid of just how big of a personality he was and, and knew that he was kind of a trash shocker and, mm-hmm. and just, a, you know, one of the guys who really led the locker room. Seeing him again now, it's just, I undersold it. It's just, he is, <laughs> his personality is super, super large. But and through all that and through all the jokes and stuff like that, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, he was definitely uh, careful to, you know, make sure to remind everybody of like, okay, you know, Look, this is a total team effort. He thanked the models. Um, you know, he, he thanked you know the rest of his teammates. Uh, he was, you know, as as much as he's this outspoken guy uh, that he is, uh, he was definitely uh, uh, good to kind of recognize the rest of his teammates. I think it's fair to say that the inclusion of Syracuse turned this from what could have been a PG event into an R event. <laughs> For sure, and, uh, and you know it, it, the language was was earthy. Uh, you know, I'm certainly used to a fair amount of profanity. You hear it on the show from time to time. Uh, mm-hmm. For effect, I don't have a problem with it at all. But but some people do, and some people don't want their kids to hear it. And even some of the guys who were on stage saying it, or basically like, you know, this is the part where you have to cover Johnny's ears, kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. there was quite a bit of that through the show. Syracuse was did not hold back in some of the stories he told. I thought that that was great. And, you know, the closest we came to getting some inside football and, you know, we of course had the 2020 season, the, the um, trip to the bathroom for Lamar. Mm -hmm. And Tony mentioned a similar situation that came up in Washington where he, uh, he may have had diarrhea and they said they were going to give him a laxative. And I mean, he's going into all this. <laughs> and, and then he said, no, laxative is going to take hours to work. He says, well, we could give you an enema. And he goes, okay, let's do that. And then he says, you know, if, if I'm lying down on the field and I'm not getting up fast, do not turn me over. <laughs> <That's what he> <laughs> <said>. <laughs> anyway, he goes into more. He's like, and of course that's the day we had to wear the all white jersey. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just, <laughs> It really, really didn't stop uh, very, very short of anything. A lot of uh, homage paid to the 2001 Hard Knocks session. So a lot of the, lot of the stuff done was, uh, uh, you know, from that, uh, which was probably the best film. I mean, you have, you have certainly plenty of film that's on the 2000 Ravens, but not a lot of inside, not a lot of personal footage. Right, taken in that team, but you do have a lot of the hard knock stuff, and they went into that a lot, including a lot of the very fun interactions between Goose and uh, and Shannon Sharp that we remember. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's great, man. I, I I have to I have to take a step back too. I, I think Shannon may have mentioned this as well, or maybe Dilfer or something. But there's so many people that were up there on stage who are now just personalities in the NFL, which it, it, in hindsight makes total sense. Of just you know total you know characters on the field that hard knocks was was just the beginning of of what was kind mm-hmm. of to come and so many of the it's it's not a surprise that all these guys are huge in the NFL and on the broadcasting side nowadays. Yeah, I you know I guess Shannon really talked about you know, actually I guess it was Trent was talking about working with Ray at ESPN. I think and so. Of course, yeah, Shannon's yeah. Shannon's on everything every day. You know he's he's his own brand right now with the uh, yeah. Skip Bayless. And uh, Rod Woodson, a quieter dude, maybe we talk about him next a little bit, uh, did not have a ton to say during this thing. He did uh, mention, you know, you know, leadership on the team. And he was certainly a part of that very mature leadership on the team. Uh, You know, the point you made, I thought earlier was a good one. Yeah, I think um, I think Rod was definitely there to kind of. you know, let everybody know, remind people of just the the job that I think Billick did in terms of letting uh, the players be themselves and just, you know, allowing them to kind of, you know, they knew that they were all crazy personalities, but he allowed them to kind of go do that and just keep them accountable and say like, hey guys, like you could be yourself, but you got to back it up. Uh, you got to make sure that, you know, you get your business done. And uh, yeah, I, I think that was kind of the big point that I took a home from Rod. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think tons of the guys, I think Shannon also kind of reiterated that and, and even uh, Trent and, and Goose. Um, yeah, I think that was a big part of that, that team of just, you know, having the, the coaching staff in place. But, you know, they also knew that they had the players that could self-manage themselves. And they really did that that year. Yeah, it didn't, ha- didn't have curfew. Uh, it was one of the things that was mentioned, including when they were at the Super Bowl. They only had one time where they were uh, practicing in kind of a rough area. I think it was on the Super Bowl where they really 
talked about, you know, having to take the bus to and from that practice facility just because it wasn't in the greatest neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And Billick had a rule that he wanted to know. He didn't have any rules that week about curfew or anything else. People could, you know, they were on their own, but that uh, they had to all be on the bus at a specific given time. Or sorry, to and from the to and from the practice field. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if and it was just a safety thing that he was trying to impose. And so one some rookie came up to Shannon Sharp, right? Yeah, and asked him, "Hey, do you think it'd be okay?" My my parents are here and they've got their camper. Do you think it'd be okay if I just rode the camper back to the to the hotel with them? And you know, Shannon said, you know, it, it, it's nothing comes above this. You know, we're here to play a football game, and and you know, Billick wants you there because he wants to make sure you're safe, and and you got to get on the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. It, it's it, it's funny throughout like that whole thing. You're thinking like, you know, Shannon's gonna say something silly. He's like, you know, do whatever. But it's just, you know, he, he knew in that moment, like, okay, we're at the Super Bowl. Like, there is, we're not here to have fun. Like, this is the time to be serious. Like, you know, out, out of all of it, and you know, he listened. I don't even think Shannon mentioned who the rookie was, but uh, I guess it wasn't no. Jay Lou. But yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting night for Shannon because, of course, one of the real cool things from the Hard Knocks episode was seeing how, you know the relationship between Ray and Shannon uh, was very clear in the back of the, the of the room. You see them always like uh, jiving with each other. You know, this Siragusa and Shannon are fighting, but 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 Ray and Shannon obviously are very close. And and when they're watching the rookie show together. And there's the impersonator of each of them that comes out. I thought that mm-hmm. was just one of the funniest things. I've always laughed whenever I see that scene. Well, for this episode, this is the Ravens knowing how to do it right. They brought that that rookie linebacker who was Tim Johnson on the 2000 team. You know, forgotten guy. But, but they brought him back to play 2000 Shannon in the rookie show. And it was just absolutely fantastic. I couldn't understand a lot of what he was saying, but you know, he was speaking it in Shannonese in terms of, you know, being gesticulating and, and talking very much like, like Shannon did with the hat pulled way down over his head. The same, the same hat, hilarious. same hat. Yeah. Too. Yeah, yeah. Same bucket hat. Looked like the same shirt. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a, 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 a cool moment to, to have that out there. He came, he came in, he, he was a big part of the show. He's probably out there for five minutes. Oh, for sure. Lot. And he was, he was shaking was... everybody's hand. And when, you know, Kevin, KB, he was, he was ready to go. And then uh, about Tim and he was like waving everybody and everybody gave him applause. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was, that was good. I thought I, I, he was, um, he was very good about, you know, playing the funny guy also, but I thought he also had great comments about Trent Dilfer. And, and, you know, the, the point that he made with Dilfer was that, there weren't a lot of quarterbacks out there who in a free agent season as Dilfer was in 2000, of course, um, would have subjected themselves to the system or subjugated themselves to the system. Maybe is, is the way I should say that they had a defense that basically you could continually give the ball to the opponent and let them screw up. And they would eventually with that defense and they weren't really going to score. They weren't really going to, you know, as long as you didn't give the game away, they weren't going to lose the game. Uh, but but he he really subjected himself to that system, and, and Shannon expressed a uh, uh, you know a real appreciation of that. Uh, even though Shannon, an offensive player, obviously must have been killing him at the time to to not try and do more offensively. The fact that that uh, that he did, he spoke very highly of Bill, of uh, Dilfer in this this night. For sure, I think there was a lot of respect from a lot of those guys toward Dilfer. Um, you know, on one hand, it's it's really hard to compliment Dilfer without. Uh, having a compliment sandwich because I mean, that's basically everything it is, right. right? It's like he knew everybody knew that he wasn't, he was not a top 10 quarterback. He was not a top 15 quarterback at the time. He was not a good quarterback. And even Delford knows that. Um, but despite all of that, it's just, you know, you have to, he, he can be, you know, he was good enough, right? He, he, he fit the system that they wanted to run. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it was, it was definitely a, a well point, a, a good point from, from Shannon. I do think, uh, yeah, it's it, it's just it's it's hard for anything else to kind of come out of that. But Dilfer also seems to understand that as well. He, he knew that you know he wasn't that quarterback, and he could have been better. He probably doesn't look back on that year and say, you know, that he had his greatest season. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they were able to come away with the Super Bowl, and that's honestly that's what matters. That's what lasts. Yeah, it uh, it was kind of special. Is 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 pretty clear beyond just that those comments about. Uh, Dilfer, 
you know, what Shannon Sharp did for that team in a lot of ways is, is maybe not remembered today. But I'll give you the least less important thing first. At the Super Bowl, he's talking about, look, we're going to do everything together this week. We're going to play cards together. We're going to hang out. But we're here to win a football game. Your families are here to go to Disneyland and do that kind of stuff. And everybody was off doing that sort of thing. But but they really tried to limit the amount of time they spent away from their team uh, just, just to keep the team together and focused and, and whatnot. Um, so I, I thought that was really important. Yeah, I think I, I got to tell you, I, I've I've always kind of been a fan of Shannon Sharp. I, I think Shannon, for me, I think is one of the first free agents that I can remember that really embodies basically any type of the ideal free agent that you want to bring in on the Ravens. Somebody who has a really strong personality, who's a really strong football player and has that like championship mindset of, of just knowing like knowing when to be yourself and knowing when to turn it on and be like, OK, guys, we got to buckle down. Um you know, obviously, I don't want to take away and say like, you know, Saragusa was my favorite because I think he kind of was that, but a little bit of a different way and a little bit more, uh, you know, maybe brash directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Shannon, I kind of identified a little bit more with and, and, and felt that he was sort of like that that stronger presence of even if you take away all of the the personality, I think he would be one of those guys that you would want to build a team around to be able to kind of instill that championship mindset. And uh, yeah, I, I thought that point that he made was was absolutely fantastic. And it really showed that leadership. You know, there's there was odd to me, but there was absolutely no mention of any of the pretrial stuff. Now I'm sure they could have, and they just decided, not look, we're not going to make it be about this. But um, you know, obviously, Shannon Sharp during that off season performed one of the really big services he did for the Baltimore Ravens. He went down to Atlanta, or maybe he was he was living there anyway, and he worked out with Ray Lewis as he was awaiting trial. And, you know, it's just something obviously keep keep keeping Ray focused at that point probably was something that had great benefit. I'm sure that, it, you know, Ray would admit that, that that was something that was of terrific value to him, period. Uh, but then as as things worked out and if he was acquitted or actually not even wasn't acquitted, he was found of a lesser charge, blah, blah, blah. But but he but he, he uh, you know, was not guilty, obviously, of the of the of the murder um, that, uh, you know, Sharp's contribution during that offseason really didn't get mentioned at this event. And 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 it, it, it's kind of a good thing to not do that because it takes the focus off that. Uh, and and I'm, I'm always I'm very tired of hearing that with regard to the 2000 Ravens. I'm sure 30 for 30 will go back to it. I'm sure they'll talk more about it, uh, about the 1999 slash 2000 offseason uh, before they, uh, you know, get into the rest of the 2000 Ravens story. But uh, it was a... I think I think it, it was an incredible thing service that Sharp performed for the Ravens and, and I think for Ray as well um, to get him through that off season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great point. I, I think the what you said earlier about just the Ravens putting on just a excellent little thing as far as like the little things and all that stuff. I definitely think that has to be intentional. You you don't want to have a whole crowd yeah. of Ravens fans who are there to reminisce and and remember the good times to kind of bring that up. Uh, probably not the right moment for it, but for a 30 for 30, I could see that happening. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Let's, uh, let's hit on Trent Dilfer next uh, because we've, we've talked about him a little bit in, in terms of sharp. There, there were a couple of things ab- about it. Uh, you know, one thing you, you, you mentioned this is that he even mentioned that he was not the quarterback he'd been in Tampa Bay. Uh, he was a, you know, not the quarterback he would become, I'm not sure I remember him being a good quarterback after he left Baltimore, honestly, but, but however he wants to remember it, that's fine. I will always say this. Trent Dilfer has always been a class act whenever I've seen him uh, outside of uh, a football stadium. I've, I, you know, I saw him at an autograph show. He, he took off his Super Bowl ring. He's letting all the kids wear it for a minute while they get their picture taken with him. I mean, you know, it just takes a lot of trust and a lot of, you know, willingness to, uh, uh, to do that. I, I've always been impressed with him personally. Yeah. I, I think Shannon kind of mentioned this. We, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, the, the, the lack of ego, right. It, it, it takes a lot for a football player who, you know, most of them have been the guy, they have been the best uh, throughout their entire careers. And when they get to the NFL, the level of competition is just so high. They may not have to, you know, they may not be the best anymore. And for a guy like Trent to kind of have that, throughout his entire career and then all of a sudden become the backup and then realize like, 
oh, I'm in the system where I really like know my limitations are very obvious here and I need mm-hmm. to do everything that I can to limit them. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he did what he could. It wasn't pretty, but uh, you know, the, they ended up winning it. And yeah, I, I think, I think what you're mentioning about him being a class act, I think that kind of plays along to it. It just, it, it takes a lot of uh, a guts and, and personality, I think, to kind of accept who you are as a person and a player and, and just roll with that and be comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. it uh, definitely. They, they definitely appreciate who he was there. Um, Marvin Lewis, um, he was over, over there on the left side of the straight stage. He was pretty quiet. Uh, for most of the show, I'd say uh, we talked a little bit about giving away a book to the other coaches that worked for him called Who Moved My Cheese. Uh, so they, they'd already been pretty good in 1999 was his comment, but but they really needed to take it to another level. And uh, Who Moved My Cheese is a management book that came out right around then, obviously, and had been a bestseller. And they uh, he gave it out. And I think he mentioned that that it had been passed around and it was obvious that a bunch of people had re- read it. And then I think Ray said, oh, I had it, but I but I didn't read it kind of thing. <laughs> oh, was it Ray or Goose? I would have expected. Oh, could, could have been. Could have been. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah. The, the one thing about the Meyerhoff is it's not the greatest for seeing the event on stage because right. – you you have kind of a flatter uh, seats. It's not stadium style seating that you used to to see mm-hmm. over people. And there was a guy in front of me who was a, kind of a big guy with a very large head, and uh, you know still had all his hair. and And uh, I had a hard time seeing around him to see the stage exactly as he was talking. Sometimes I hope it wasn't me. No, I don't think it was you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean you're right. You're yeah. It's it's definitely made for listening. I was actually there, funny enough, uh, yesterday to to watch a concert. So. Um, well, to listen to a concert, I should say. So it's one of those things. I that. think, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely fine. I was actually thinking about taking a nap and just listening to it the whole time, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> but no. But anyway, back to Marvin. Uh, I just want to say, um, it, it was great. It was great seeing him there. I know, obviously, he, he's uh, he's been out of the NFL for a little bit. Um, I, I thought it was great, man. I, he's he's one of those guys who I think for a lot of younger Ravens fans, I mean. You know, we know that he was a longtime head coach for the Bengals, uh, mm-hmm. a bitter, you know, divisional rival of the Ravens. But um, he was very beloved, I think, when he was here in that year, uh, a couple of years before he left. Um, very, very, very excellent uh, defensive coordinator for the Ravens. I'm sure you've talked about him before a lot on this show. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I really appreciated kind of seeing him come back. Uh, it's just I think it was just a, a good moment to kind of see him back in his. Uh, environment where you know everybody kind of really loves him here is uh it's great to see yeah it was uh he he uh he really uh he he knew what he's doing that team was was very special in terms of being adaptable it was very different and marvin lewis during his tenure as defensive coordinator went from a season in 1996 where he didn't have a lot of defensive talent anyway on the team Sure, Ray was there, but he's a two-down linebacker, and Eric Turner was calling the signals that year. Um, they actually had to switch from a 4-3 to a 3-4 during the season out of necessity because of a number of injuries on the defensive line. Tell me about how often that works, if you if you can remember the 1981 Colts and them being one of the worst defensive teams of all time. Uh, it's The things he had to live through that year and how he had to adapt to those problems. Then to get to 2000, 1999, 2000, when he had really talented defensive teams and to put the pieces in order uh, really is the other side of that spectrum. And the, the 1999 team allowed the fewest yards in team history. The 2000 team played the most diamond quarter uh, of any team other than the 2019 Ravens, 34 and a half percent. And, and that's, that was something I really wanted to ask him about, see if there was a, a time either before the show or after that that could have been done. But uh, you know, an interesting adaptation to the talent that they had. Uh, it wasn't all about that starting 11. And just to, just to finish this story, the, in, in 2001, after being so successful, the greatest defense of all time, he lived up to the Who Moved My Cheese book by switching to a 32 dime. He decided that Jimmy Sharper was the best guy to have on the field instead of a, a seventh defensive back. And so he he changed his philosophy again, or he changed his his uh, packaging again to, to fit the defensive talent he had. Very adaptable defensive coach. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I did want to go back. I missed something on Billick that we need to go back and talk about. Okay. So the one element that Billick is extremely bitter about, okay, there's, there's a couple because he said it was very painful 
to leave the Ravens after 2000 and not be able to, to, to stay. And I think that's been clear in a number of remarks we've heard over the year. But the other is the lost playbook. Additional information came out during the, during the show tonight that I was unaware of. Uh, in, in 2000, in the game, the Ravens won at Tennessee uh, for the first loss for them at Adelphia. Um, he believes his playbook was stolen or he believed his playbook was stolen. And that was chronicled in the America's game uh, treatment of the 2000 Ravens and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Apparently, someone admitted from the who was with the Tennessee at the time that they had their playbook in advance of the uh, in advance of the playoffs that they had it. And he says, you know, this is a lot worse than that. It's just a line you don't cross. I'm still pissed off about it. You know that this is this is not something that I'm I'm you know an admission of guilt is 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 okay. But they had you know one of their Tennessee guys who's a, a, a you know person who works obviously had to move through the locker room, heist the playbook out of his locker and, and and take it with them. And, and, you know, he had to go back and explain to Billick that he'd lost his playbook. And not only that, the playbook included all these notes uh, that were, were specific. It would have had checks. And, you know, if, if we're running this, then the check is to, is to this particular run play, for example. I mean, just complete violation of, ethics, morals with regard to the NFL. Right. If, if you thought that the Ravens-Titans rivalry uh, needed no more uh, a bad blood between them, think again. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, I wasn't aware of that either. Uh, I, I knew, obviously, yeah, from watching America's game that, you know, he believed that it was stolen. But yeah, I, I didn't really know that there was an omission of guilt. But uh, yeah, that's, if, if that were to, I think if that were something that would come out, uh, you know, in a season nowadays, I think that would make a, a, a lot more headlines than it did back then. Right. It'd be, it'd be like another deflate gate or something. It'd be a, it'd mm-hmm. be a big issue. And, yeah. and if they ever tracked it down, I mean, first of all, it comes to mind that they should lowjack those playbooks. I mean, so it's not like they can't, you know, copy them and put it back into place and do things like that. If, if you right. want to, if you're, if you're willing to Jimmy McGillett, if you're right. going to follow better call Saul here, but uh, uh, it's uh, just one of those things that, that uh, you're surprised would happen in the NFL, I guess. Right. Well, nowadays it's not even like physically stealing it. It's just, you know, I'm sure that they might take notes yes. on their services or something. So if any NFL team is going to be hiring any professional hackers, uh, that would be a, a thing to keep an eye on. <laughs> All right. Are you, do you work? I know you're in tech. Do, are you in security? I, I do work in cybersecurity. Yeah. Not in, no, very good. obviously not in the NFL. So, <laughs> but he's, he's available. I'm sure at, uh, at, at probably not even the right price. He's probably just available. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, uh, Marvin Lewis uh, kind of had a crack on Syracuse during the time saying that, that basically Syracuse was talking about if having, he was still able to learn the playbook or something. And even though he missed practice a fair amount, I did, I wasn't aware of this as a regular thing about Syracuse, but uh, he, he, uh, Marvin Lewis made the comment that you never really knew the playbook. Kind of thing. <laughs> he probably knew his own responsibilities very well, by the way, those, those run stopping zeros, run stopping noses and, and especially two gappers, very complex to play that position. I mean, it's, it's a lot of keys you have to read really at once. Syracuse, you know, is is made out to be kind of a buffoon, uh, but obviously a very very sound technical football player. For sure, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a there's a big difference I think between somebody like a uh, Jamarcus Russell who obviously never you know looked at the playbook, never watched any film or anything, and a guy like Syracuse who it might not, but he's been a vet. He was around for a long time. He knows what he's doing, right? And uh, yeah, as as long as you know, I, I think he kind of talked about that earlier too, and it kind of the allowing Billick allowing everyone to kind of be themselves, and that mm-hmm. you know he, you know, even though that you know uh, Goose would show up and, and maybe not be at the the playing weight that uh, Billick wanted him to be, he's <laughs> like, you know, regardless of that, you know, I, I'm not going to weigh in, coach, but I'm going to be at training camp and I'm going to make sure that I can I can run any of the plays you need me to run, but just don't make me run the forty and don't make me weigh in. <laughs> And, and if I have to run 40 yards to make a tackle, we're going to lose. Yeah. That was the other thing you said that was kind <laughs> yeah, of funny. Yeah. Uh, lots of good stuff. I mean, Jack Del Rio had a comment and Jack, Jack really didn't say a whole lot the whole day. But one of the things he said was that he was kind of taking some crap before the AFC championship game. Uh, and he, he, I guess Del Rio had played in Oakland, but, but, but he, maybe more than that, he had grown up in Oakland and they were kind of his people. 
is what he said. And, and you know, he said he's at a restaurant. He's he's taking abuse, you know, and and he apparently retorted to some fan. This is not only are going to we going to beat you tomorrow. We're going to injure your quarterback. And then they they showed, of course, the clip of Siragusa landing on top of Gannon. And and uh, it's hilarious here. And I can tell you, I know Raiders fans who do not find that hilarious. Oh, I'm sure. And, and yeah. who basically say that, you know, they, they got cheated out of a trip to the Super Bowl by the fact Siragusa fell on top of Gannon. And I don't believe for a second that, that Oakland is going to win that game anyway. But uh, but it's it's uh, not illegitimate response to that yeah no, i'm sure it's salt in the wound for them but uh but yeah <laughs> again you know it's 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 funny you know just kind of hearing all this information come out afterwards obviously you know that that was not something that made headlines i think back in the day I, i'm sure that was a little bit more private but uh can you imagine if that did though and that came out and yeah it'd be, yeah. It'd, be it'd be you know injury gate or whatever the the uh what was the the saints thing bounty gate bounty gate yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah that wouldn't be that wouldn't be uh a popular thing. Fisirgusa didn't have got fined for fifteen thousand. They kept making the point that no flag was thrown. Um, Phil Sims on air said several times. I mean, he was obviously you know very frustrated that you can just jump on a quarterback that way. And he goes, he, he lands his entire body right down to the quarter. That is illegal. And they 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 ended the clip. And Syracuse says, first of all, let me just say, Phil Sims can kiss my ass. <laughs> that was one of many R-rated moments we had for the for the day from him. Del Rio also had one one interesting comment crediting Billick. I thought that was really important, really saying that that Brian Billick had done a wonderful job letting be, them be their own men, not just as players but as coaches as well, and that uh, that he wasn't trying to, to to do people's jobs for them. He was he was, you know, I, I think the word I would term it is empowering in terms of of uh, what he was trying to do for his both his staff and the players, right. You know, it's funny. I, I actually, I, I know this term hasn't been used at least for the 2000 Ravens, but it was really popularized with the 2006 Ravens around that defense was called organized chaos. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like the the coaching staff and the players on the 2000 Ravens, uh, Billy could tap into organized chaos of like just enough to kind of keep people in the right direction. But other than that, everybody was kind of doing whatever they want. I mean, heck, even Billick, man. I mean, you saw there were so many clips from him in the locker room of just making these speeches, uh, mm-hmm. going into the lion's den or the F the Titans, of, yes. you know, having all these headline moments from, from the head coach of all people. It's yeah. just, it's crazy. Uh, it's definitely, the it, it, point was not lost that this team liked to talk and, uh, and they were able to back it up. So that was, uh, you know, fortunate. Um, let's talk about Ray and then we'll hit on Billick and, and we'll be, I think, uh, done. Ray, uh, certainly made a great entrance for the night. He came on, uh, and, uh, held up the Super Bowl trophy. Everybody else just, you know, basically was announced one at a time, kind of took their seats, got a bigger round of applause and, and, uh, but Ray came out, held up the trophy. Everybody's, you know, standing. Oh, and then he started to do the squirrel dance. <laughs> and so, so, uh, he he got his whole entrance done before he sat down. Honestly, did not say all that much during the actual program. More much more dominated by Sir Goose and Sharp. Yeah, for sure. Uh that that was actually the the big thing I kind of took away. Again, as a young fan, um my whole my whole watching career of the Ravens, Ray has been the guy. He's been the 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 personality of the team, the 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 face of the team. Even with guys like, you know, Ed Reed, it's it's Ray's team. And uh, it's it's very clear, especially from this, that Ray he might not even been a top five personality on this team. It was very yeah. clearly, you know, Siragusa, Shannon, those were the two like big personalities on this team. And uh, yeah, I, I think that showed. I, I do think Ray had one uh, one good story, and this actually uh, kind of tied into uh, a couple of other things that people mentioned. But um, for you know, inspirational clips, they they used a lot of uh, a film that kind of came out during the time. So Ray always pointed to Gladiator as one that he mm-hmm. embodied that Gladiator mindset, and he talked about that a little bit. I thought it was good. I think uh, uh, Billick and a few others mentioned that they took some clips from other movies like Apollo thirteen and, and a few other things to kind of inspire that sort of. Uh, uh, I, I can't think of the right word for this, but to just inspire the team uh, to kind of rally them together and, and kind of uh, face adversity. Yeah, as as the years rolled on, of course, we we became to, came to know Ray as more of preacher Ray, you know, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it just there was it was a strong faith element to a message he was trying to say that was really out of this, uh, just the same. 
And I, I don't know whether that, that was an agreed upon thing or whether Ray has kind of moderated his approach to things over the years. Uh, but he certainly, you know, it's, it was much more about gladiator looking your opponent in the eye and knowing you can defeat him and all, all those kind of things that, 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 that were here. It wasn't about, you know, no weapon forged against us shall prosper. Mm-hmm. It wasn't those sorts of uh, elements. So I, I, I really, I don't know about you. I, I really appreciate it when, when Ray is Ray the gladiator as opposed to Ray the preacher. But, uh, but I thought he, he, he was, he was surprisingly relatively quiet uh, during, during the, uh, uh, entire event. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And for, for what it's worth too. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think Ray, the gladiator, th- those early two thousands clips, uh, you know, whatever, you know, top 100 and, and, you know, NFL player, Ray Lewis, all the highlights or stuff like that. I, I love those that, I mean, cause mm-hmm. that's, I mean, those are the clips that get you to, to run through a wall. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've just have that mindset. I mean, I, I think the the one player who I think really got it after Ray was gone, Terrell Suggs running out with the uh, with the gladiator mask mm-hmm. uh, was just fantastic. Absolutely, <laughs> he had to take an equipment fine for that, but you know, everybody on Twitter is like totally worth it. Yeah. Well, well, it's not their eight thousand dollars, but yeah, it's, it was totally worth it from yeah. that perspective. Uh, I I think we had one other story from Ray that came up during the thing was Ray talking about going out with some of the other players and it was, this was during the season, I think. And, and this was more of a policing themselves moment. And it's interesting that, that um, Ray was out with Shannon uh, Woodson and Jamal Lewis was with him. So, so Jamal Lewis kind of got included in this leadership group very early. You know, there's, there's certain clicks will always develop on a team, but you know, he was somebody Ray Lewis took under his wing very early in terms of, of what was going on. And then it became apparent that that uh, Jamal Lewis had to pay for a lot of stuff as a rookie, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not sure that's that's completely reflective of what was actually going on. But the other thing was that uh, Ray and Jamal were single. Shannon had a girlfriend, and Rod Woodson, of course, was married. and And it got to be one thirty in the morning. They're looking at their watches and ready to go. And it gets to be two o'clock, and and you know Ray and Jamal are still not ready to go. <laughs> and, and Shannon took off with with Jamal's car with this with this Hummer took it home and and he said he Jamal said he had to hire a limo to go to go to work the next day go to practice <laughs> obviously put it in yeah. I don't know why he had to hire a limo I think a taxi would have sufficed but yes <laughs> I mean he's got money on that rookie deal I guess he could spend it however you want <laughs> there you go fifth overall so you know he made a few bucks yeah uh so we've talked about Jamal uh also said very little the entire time um, you know, he, he, he mentioned a, a story about Priest Holmes uh, coming over when he when he got his first start and Priest Holmes just came over, offered his hand to him and shook it and said, it's your job now kind of thing. Um, but that, you know, that would have been a tough thing for Priest to do with all the success he had after he after he left uh, Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've I've always kind of gotten the, the impression from Jamal that he's sort of a soft spoken guy. Um, yeah, I, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think I think the point that you made earlier a little bit about just him kind of being introduced to that sort of click early is uh you know kind of a, a big thing that I kind of took away of he he wasn't the person to sort of lead a lot of the uh, personalities here but he was very quick to I think to kind of join along and just kind of that sort of developed him as sort of a player um, and kind of his personality he was just kind of along for the ride and you know hey whatever you guys tell me like you know I'm, I'm here to do and. Uh, he talks also talked a little bit, just you know, being very confident in his abilities. Obviously, you know, being a high pick and being such a successful running back that he was. I mean, you know, why shouldn't he be? But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, it's the only other thing I kind of got uh, which kind of uh, backed up to his. He's rather soft spoken. I'm pretty sure uh, Shannon at one point and maybe Ray at another point uh, mistook Jamal for uh, Jermaine. <laughs> <laughs> so they keep uh, calling him J Lou when there's a couple J Lou's exactly, on the team. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, good to see Jamal there. He still still looks to be in pretty good shape. Not not uh, uh, the probably the, the guys in the the closest to his playing shape is probably Rod Woodson. I would say. Uh, I don't. Maybe Sergusa. I mean, I don't know. He looks yeah. about the same same shape. But he looks about the same shape. Okay. <laughs> I think I think there's probably elements of Sergusa which are not the same. I, I, at this point, I would just have to guess. 
the one guy we haven't talked about yet is Brian Billick. And, uh, and they started off talking about Brian Billick with a, with a clip from his appearance on the match game, uh, which absolutely was terrible. Uh, it, one thing about it is Billick had a lot of hair back then, first of all. He looked like completely different. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looked, he looked like Brian Billick, but with a lot of hair. Like mm-hmm. Brian Billick with a wig is what he looked like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had an absolutely t- terrible answer to some question on match game. And Gene Rayburn and was making fun of him, but worse um, – Dawson, what's, it, what's, it, what's the first name of Dawson? That was that was the. It's not Phil Dawson. He's a kicker, but Dawson, who's on Hogan's Heroes, and he was he, he did the. Um, uh, what's the show called? The that Paul Hart, Steve Harvey does now. Oh well, okay, Family whatever feud? it is. Yeah, Family Feud. There you go. Hey, so uh, Richard Dawson, Richard Dawson. There okay. you go. There you go. <laughs> it's terrible now. This is just getting to be this age that's it's more and more difficult. But anyway. Richard Dawson was actually making fun of him. So football player failed, <laughs> match game failed. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, Billick, uh, uh, you know, I think most of it was uh, things you've talked about is is that he was really um, made a lot of kind of line in the sand statements during the season. Uh, many of them recorded that, uh, you know, he, he was uh, he didn't mention being upset in this particular event about, about being put on the board at Tennessee with his comments after the win that came earlier in the year at Tennessee. Uh, but, but he said, you know, he clearly was upset about that and they had the F the Titans moment out of it after, after that. And um, I think maybe he's mellowed a little bit to just say, at least we could back it up. Yeah. I, I've, I've kind of always felt that way of, of, you know, I don't. I don't know. I think. I think with the early two thousand teams, it's it's very easy, especially now for Ravens fans. Like in now that we've kind of we won the Super Bowl and afterwards, I think it's really easy to kind of say like you know to fall in love with all of the sort of the talk that came around from all these players and all these big personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that's very beloved here. Um, you know, I, I think with a lot of the you know recent teams under Harbaugh, I think definitely that's mellowed out a lot more. You just have uh, fewer of those personality types and, and fewer of those sort of clickbaity. Uh, locker room statements uh but uh, yeah i mean at the end of the day if you back it up you're more than welcome to kind of you know speak what you want uh you know the the Bengals, i think this year were uh, kind of a great example of that of, they talked a lot and you know uh, they backed it up uh until the last game they didn't back it up then but um mm-hmm. you know the more that they won you know you can say what you want as long as you keep winning sure sure yeah I, absolutely um well, anyway, a great night, I thought. Uh, and and I'm just looking at this event, and I'm thinking about it. And I'm thinking, you know, they charged $35 a ticket, I think it was. Do you remember? I believe what, so. Yeah, like that? that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what? how many people could have been there? 1,200, 1,500? I mean, it's not that many. The Meyerhoff doesn't sit seat 4,000 or anything. Right. But so, I mean, they couldn't have made money on this event. They, the, the Ravens must have paid money to put this event on given all the, you know, trimmings that were, that were with this. And, and maybe it's all part of this uh, 30 for 30 uh, that they're doing on the 2000 Ravens was really the centerpiece of why they wanted to do it. But uh, really, really great job putting it together, bringing people back, including a bunch of people who were there, but weren't part of the team. So they had a guy, for example, who was on the roof uh, and, and stayed on the roof for the Ravens entire touchdown drought during 2000 and then maybe not from the beginning, but maybe after a couple games, he got up there and then he ended up being there for, for three more weeks that, <laughs> right. before he got down. Yeah. The- I mean, again, as a kid, I, I never remembered that story, but that was one mm-hmm. that I was like, wow, that's, uh, you know, obviously crazy, you know, as an adult now, I'd be like, why in the world would you want to do that? But yeah. <laughs> um, it's one of those crazy stories. I think that if, if you were around and remember that, like that's uh it's one of those things you'll, you'll tell your kids and grandkids. Yep. And so they, they had him there uh, to receive a football. He, he appears to have some health issues just from the from the looks of what's going on. And, uh, um, uh, you know, it's nice that they could do that for him. But again, another thing where the Ravens really do it right in terms of trying to bring back people and trying to be inclusive in, in, in terms of people that uh, that they really like. Mokaba in recent times is, is another great example right. of that, of, uh, yeah. of really knowing how to do things right. Uh Chris, anything else about the event that just struck you in terms of of uh, specifics? Um, I you know I, I think kind of just take it back from the top. I think um, you know a lot of this a lot of this was a lot of nostalgia, right? I, I think um, overall, I think for the most part, um, you know, if you, if you didn't have the opportunity to go there, 
Um, I think a lot of this has kind of already been said, you know, they played a lot of clips from America's game or things like that, um, that I'm sure a lot of fans, if you've watched a lot of clips from the 2000 season, you've probably seen before a lot of the stories as well. Like I I've, I've heard bits and pieces of these in, in other contexts and some things, but there were a few stories, uh, you know, overall, like you mentioned the, the guy who got up on the roof and stayed there for a few weeks. That was something I didn't know about. Um, so I, I think for me, it was, it was definitely, um, you know, while, a lot of it, I think, was familiar. There were a few kind of new things that, you know, I hadn't heard before. And I, I think for me, it was uh, enjoyable, I think, to kind of hear those new stories. Yeah, I, I can imagine for somebody who's a little bit younger fan to, to be able to fill in some of the cracks in terms of, of what you saw. For, for an older fan who not only watched those games, but really has gone back and analyzed the defense and, and done things like that, this still revealing stuff. And that Dilfer playbook thing. That is a just right. The additional re- uh, revelation there is just amazing to me. So, uh, anyway, Chris, thanks so much for for talking with this with me about this on such short notice. Really appreciate you coming on, and hopefully, we'll have this out and have a review of the event for for people that they can listen to and look on the way to work tomorrow. Tell people where they can talk football with you, though. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I guess I'll give our our podcast uh, Twitter handle at One Winning Pod. Um, so I'm over there with Alec, uh, as you know, and, and Peter has also been on the show, I believe. Um, if you'd like to follow my personal account, it's at Kraborg57. So that's at C-R-A-B-O-R-G-5-7. And yeah, um, we'll be over at One Winning Podcast and and hopefully back on this show with you at some point. All right. Outstanding. And and you're, you're more than welcome to come back. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, I'm always looking for folks during the off season. Uh, we have a great series of shows coming up called Expectations we're going to get into. We have another one on the evolution of the game that is going to be very interesting. Uh, but we have about 25 shows already planned. It will be a little while before we'll get recorded with you, but I will respond right away to your idea, and I'd love to hear you hear from it. DMs are always open on Twitter. That's the place to hit me up, at Film Study Ravens. Chris, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate it, man. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry-free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.